Good to see you guys. It's so fun to have this room filled up on a Wednesday night. You can get, get your last coffee. If you can still drink coffee at this hour, bless you. Um, so my name is Gabe. If we haven't met, um, I'd love to, love to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I'm so excited um, for this series and um, that we have this amount of people in our community um, who, who really want to lean into discovering um, your unique design. Because I think about how powerful that is in the life of the church um, to have this many people who you know, want to discover your unique gifts and your unique assignment in the body. And so um, that's really, really encouraging um, for me. And um, as I was thinking about just addressing you guys tonight, just briefly, um, I love what Jesus says in John chapter eight. Let me get my, uh, he says, he's talking to the Pharisees and they're kind of trying to figure out who he is. And he says, these claims are valid, even though I make them about myself. And, and this is the key. He says, for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. And, you know, Jesus is our example. He's, he's the one that goes before us in the faith. And he was certain about where he came from. And he was certain about who he was. Um, and he was certain that he was God's beloved son. And, you know, that's our starting point um, tonight is that you are God's beloved, um, his beloved son, his beloved daughter. And he's pleased with you. Um, and he's called you and he saved you and he's gifted you uniquely. Um, because the scriptures tell us that you're fearfully and wonderfully made and, um, and you're unique. There's no one like you, uh, in, in, in all the earth. Um, and he's placed you here uh, in this city, in this year, in this time, uniquely made, um, wonderfully made. And, and he has powerful things for you to do. And he didn't give you those gifts. He didn't assign you here. He didn't call you here. Um, not to use you, but to but to see your gifts multiplied and used for, for his glory. So I believe that he has a powerful purpose for each one of you individually. And I believe that as a church, it's our job to help you um, discover that and to help launch you and assign you. And I just think about what could that look like? What could that look like over these next several years if, if we commit to, to helping one another discover our uniqueness and, and we commit to helping each other launch into spaces of powerful ministry for the sake of his kingdom. Um, I think that that's a force to be reckoned with um, against evil in the world. And so that gets me excited. Um, and, it, and it begins here and it begins with your, your commitment to be here on a Wednesday night. So um, I want to pray for you and um, for Bob and Christine. And, um, and I'm just looking forward to seeing what God shows you. In these weeks, um, I, I pray that this is um, a, a marker event, maybe in your life, um, not just another study, but a powerful experience that maybe you look back on, no matter where you are in your life now. And then you say, you know, in those weeks, um, the Lord showed me something about who I am and, and he assigned me or reassigned me. And I got a new lease on life because I, I found a purpose um, and a powerful purpose in a community. And so that's, that's going to be my prayer. So let me pray for you. And I'm going to hand it to Bob to, to kick off our teaching. Lord, um, just thank you 
um, that you entered into our world with certainty about who you are, about where you came from, about your purpose. Lord, and we thank you that um, you've asked us to follow you in a similar way, Lord, that you, you said that greater things than these things will you do. And so, Lord, we believe that um, you want to do great things, powerful things, miraculous things through the ordinary people in this room. You want to do extraordinary things. And, and so, Lord, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters sitting in this room right now. Lord, I pray that in these weeks that you would speak to each one um, in, a, in a way that only you can, that they would hear your voice that they would discover or rediscover in a fresh way um, who you uniquely made them to be. Lord, if, if there's those sitting here tonight that doubt that, that maybe don't have confidence in their value and their worth, Lord, would you reestablish that truth in their life in these weeks? And, and Lord, we pray that you would help us as a community to, to diligently assign each one uh, to, a, to a place and a purpose. Lord, and we pray that you would, you would launch us individually and as a community into the world and into darkness, uh, Lord, that you would have your way and that you would reveal yourself and your glory and your power to a dark and dying world um, through this ordinary offering um, of, of being here tonight. So, Lord, I pray for Bob and for Christine. Lord, would, would you allow them to be your mouthpiece, Lord? Would you um, just give them the ability to speak your, your words with confidence. Lord, we thank you for their giftedness and their calling and the way that they've obeyed you so faithfully through the years to hone these gifts. And so, Lord, use those gifts, magnify those gifts, and bless all of us. And we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Gabe. And on behalf of Christine, I want to really express uh, our appreciation for you taking the time to be here and to allow us to use some of the things that God has poured into our lives and maybe help you in the process. Uh, I became a follower of Christ at 22. I did not grow up in a Christian home, uh, did not meet a Christian, somebody who told me they were Christian until I was 22, and they shared the gospel with me. And I became a follower of Christ, and I happened to marry the woman that actually did that, and so she's sitting down there. So I'm very grateful for her introducing me to this wonderful Savior that Gabe just talked about. But one of the questions that I began to ask right away as a, as a new believer is, why am I here? What did you make me for, God? What, what is my purpose? There's a lot of different ways you can kind of ask that question, Right? Um, and what I found, well, well, and that sent me on a really a journey of finding what was the purpose of, for which God had made me, but also in discovering that I have this passion, this deep passion to help others find and follow the purpose for which they've been created. And I, what happens for me is that regularly I'll still run into people that are asking that question. Today, I was on a phone call with a, a sports minister in Atlanta, Georgia, who I've known for quite a long time. And we've asked, we've been dialoguing about this question. She's been in, in vocational ministry for almost 25 years. 
and she still has not settled in her mind, why is she here? She wrestles on a regular basis, am I fulfilling the unique purpose that God really created me to fulfill? And so if you, if you can resonate with that at all, if you can resonate with this idea of wondering why I'm here, no matter how old you are or how young you are, how long you've been following Christ or how shortly you've been following Christ, if you can resonate with that, then you're, we, we think you're in the right place. And, and we think that God is going to do something in the next several weeks to really help give you light into that question. Okay, now, could I have that next slide? We, uh, let me ask it this way first. How many of y'all were not here on April 27th? Raise your hand. Okay, great. Um, thank you for coming in the light of not even coming to that. So we, we, I hope people recommended for you to come, and that's why you're here. The, the videotape of that session is available so I, I would encourage you to watch that if you haven't so far. It will help you, I think, to set a deeper foundation for what we're going to go through over the next four weeks. Um, but we, what we began with the last time was this quote from Pascal. And he says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire and both attended with different views. They will, never, they will never take the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even to those who hang themselves. Now, I, I remember the first time I saw that quote, it really startled me. Because it, show, it showed me clearly that at least in Pascal's mind, the motivation behind all of what we do is this finding of a fulfilled life which is aligned with living out your unique purpose. And everybody is pursuing that. They're just pursuing it in different ways. And so last time we talked, we asked that question. Next slide. The question was, where do I go to find solid direction for that journey to a fulfilled life? Where do I go? And, and Christine unpacked for you all last, uh, in, in April, this idea that the world tells you to either look around, next, or to look in. So to answer that question, the world today says, look around to others, ask them what you're good at, ask them what you ought to be doing. That's more the historical model. The more recent model is this look in, disregard, in fact, the oppressive voices of those around you and look only to your inside for how to find that. And men and women, I want you to understand something, that this call from the world, in contrast to the call of God, the next slide, this idea of looking up, there is a real battle going on today for that, for that allegiance to a voice. I posted on Monday what I thought was a fairly innocuous post. This is from a guy by the name of Ed Welch in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. It's a great book. This is his quote. 
the massive interest in self-esteem and self-worth exists because it is trying to help us with a real problem. The problem is that we really are not okay. There is no reason why we should feel great about ourselves. We truly are deficient. The meager props of self-esteem teaching will eventually collapse as people realize that their problem is much deeper. The problem is in part our nakedness before God. You see, the look around says, you just need to build up your self-esteem. You need to reject the voices of people that are telling you you're not okay and tell yourself you are. When I posted that on Monday, it was a repost of something I'd done in 2015. In 2015, seven years ago, nobody commented. My Facebook post blew up on Monday. From friends of mine who were some not Christians, some were who disagreed with this comment highly. And I've entered into dialogue with several of these folks offline to talk about that. And it just illustrated for me the tension that there is between the look up and the look around and the look in mindset. What we're talking about over these next four weeks is radically different than the look around or look in view. I just want to remind you of that because the look up view says that there's a purposeful God who does everything that he does for a purpose. He made you for a unique purpose as a human being to bear his image. He made the church for a unique purpose to be redemptive uh, uh, image bearers. And then he made every single one of you, as Gabe just reminded you, uniquely a part of that. And we do it. We demonstrated that with these three circles. And we said that this broader circle here was the, unique, was the universal purpose for all mankind. We rebelled against that, and then, he, then God, through Christ, developed a redemptive purpose for this circle, the church. And then you, each one of you, represents that green circle. He said, if you're going to understand the green, you've got to understand this broader one and the narrow one. You can't divorce this from that. But see, that's exactly what the world you says to do. The look around and the look in divorces this idea of these two and says all you need to do is find your unique purpose. You establish your own self-esteem. You tell yourself you're really somebody good and that will convince you that you are. And our contention, Christine's and mine, is that it will not. And in fact, the very idea of this group was this. We said that you've got to reject. The whole purpose of design is to give you the the empowerment to reject the look around, the look in worldview, and instead embrace the solid direction of the look up view. So that's what we're hoping that you can do. Now, this tonight we're going to talk about one aspect of the shape metaphor that we gave, the shape uh, framework that we gave. We talked about how part of understanding that unique purpose was in understanding your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences. And over the next four weeks, we're going to look at those. Tonight, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. Next week, we're going to talk about personality. We're going to skip heart and abilities. And then on the 
on the 15th, we're going to talk about heart. And then the last week, we're going to talk about abilities and experience. Okay? So that's where we're going over these four weeks. Bob's given you a great review of what we did on the 27th of April. Um, and now we're going to move on to the crux of our material. So I want to start with a quote from the year 420 BC. Socrates is known to have said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Think about that for a moment. The unexamined life is not worth living. Now, before we go too far into that, you need to know that Socrates um, spent most of his life worshiping idols, and he wasn't a guy who ever really figured out how to have a relationship with God. But he was onto something here when he advised those who were studying under him and who followed him every day in the day of Athens to hear what wise words he would say next, when he talked to them consistently about um, why they needed to look deeply into who they were, what they thought, what they believed, why they believed it. And if we turn his expression, his, uh, the words that he's speaking in that quote, if we turn them around from the negative to the positive and say instead, the examined life is worth living, we land where we want to be tonight. Because there is nothing truer about things that we learn in the scripture than this fact. God wants us to look deeply at ourselves and look deeply at him and understand our relationship to him. When we examine our lives and do so willingly, we are in line with the way God wants us to function as believers. We are thinking, evaluating, reading the word, and understanding his will for us. The examined life of a believer includes the discussion of what is God's design for my life, exactly why we're here tonight. Now, we are not always the best at examining our own lives because sometimes we don't really want to think about what we might find when we start that process, but we're often very good at examining the lives of others, aren't we? Okay, own up, own up. <clears throat> Some of us make careers out of it, actually. Um, but tonight what we're going to do is, because it's easier for us sometimes to learn from the life of another and then take what we learn about that individual and apply it to our own lives, we're going to start tonight by looking at the life of another. We're going to start with an example of transformation, spiritual transformation in scripture that will reflect exactly what has happened with each one of us. In the sixth and seventh chapters of Acts, we read about Stephen, who is a committed servant of his Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen is preaching and teaching and meeting regularly with the believers in Jerusalem. He is an all-in kind of guy. 
But what happens to Stephen is that in the process of him telling the truth to people around him so that they will know and understand what he knows and understands about Jesus, he is seized and he is brought before the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin being the highest ranking Jewish leaders. And in spite of the fact that Stephen powerfully testifies before them the truth about Jesus Christ, about his faith, he tells them wonderful things as he traces it back through the Old Testament, through scriptures that they would have been familiar to, and leads them up to the point where Jesus Christ has come into the world as Savior. In spite of all of that, what do they do? They take him out to be stoned. And so Stephen is standing out in what is probably a very dry, dusty area. There are a group of people who are picking up rocks. They're accumulating as many as they think that they need in order to hurl them at Stephen, because the idea here is that they will throw as many as are needed until he is dead. And in the midst of all of this, there's a man standing off to the side. He's the guy who, as everybody is taking off their outer clothes so that they will be more limber and at ease to throw these stones, they're taking off those garments and they're laying them at his feet. Because as a Pharisee, as a powerful Jewish leader, he is there in a very important role. He is there to approve of what they're doing. To say, good job, guys. We want this squashed. We don't want anybody to know these words about Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross. And that man's name is it, Paul. At this moment in time, his name is Saul. He is soon to become Paul. So they lay their clothes at his feet. He stands there overseeing and approving of what they're doing. And here's what you need to know about Paul. Paul believed strongly that this was exactly the right thing to do. He believed that everything that Stephen had said and taught was in fact heresy that it was totally inconsistent with what any good Jew would believe in the first century. As a Pharisee, Paul believed that it was his role to take out these new believers, this church called the Way that was following Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So right after Stephen's stoning, we are told in the book of Acts, that what begins is a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem. That the apostles scatter and go to other places to teach. And that Saul, who will become Paul, begins to destroy the church. How does he do this? He goes from house to house, dragging believers, men and women, out of their homes and putting them in prison. And the historical facts are that those believers were imprisoned in 
very, very difficult circumstances in, in places that were dingy, grimy, rodent infested. They were severely mistreated and they were killed in fashions that if I were to relay them to you right now, we can hardly bear to hear the description of what happened to them. Paul was at the root of this. This was Saul of Acts 7 and 8. Would you have invited him to dinner? Probably not. But something happens in the ninth chapter. Paul sets out on his next mission. He heads down the road to Damascus. He is still, the word tells us, breathing out murderous threats against the church on his way. And he makes it very clear, I'm on my way to take more prisoners. Little does he know that he is about to encounter the Most High God. There is a light that shines into Paul's face that is so bright that it knocks him to the ground. There is a voice that only he can hear that is so commanding that he has no choice but to obey. And he walks blinded from this point into Damascus where God has prepared a servant to tell Paul the truth, the real truth. Paul is about to undergo transformation unlike anything he has ever considered before in his life. Now, you may be thinking right now, as I'm starting down this path with Paul, you may be thinking, you know, Paul is like, he's, he's up here, you know, and I'm just a basic little believer down here. <clears throat> but the truth is that the transformation that Paul goes through in the next days weeks, months, years of his life is absolutely no different than the transformation that you or I go through in the transformation of our lives when we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and when the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. So you're not off the hook. You have to realize that your transformation, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, is exactly like Paul's. It's the same God, the same Spirit, the same transforming power. God had a plan for Paul that we're going to talk through for a few minutes. He had a transformation in mind for him. He had a design for Paul's life. He knew that he could take Paul's passion, his gifts, his talents, his experience, and he could use them in mighty ways to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. The same way that he can take your gifts, your talents, your personality, your abilities, your passions to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to walk through Paul's life for a few minutes. And I have some people that I've asked to help me out. One is my scribe. So the lovely Beth Swinson will come up. And because she, you will notice that she is considerably taller than I, 
she is able to start at the top of the board and write all the way down. So here's where we go next in this. Some of you have been given verses of scripture around the room, and I'm going to call on you in just a moment. But after Paul enters Damascus, he is told that he will meet with someone by the name of Ananias, who is God's servant. Ananias, as you can imagine, is not very excited about this assignment because he feels that his life is threatened, understandably so. But the Lord says to Ananias, go, because, listen carefully, Saul is my chosen instrument. He is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. So Ananias goes and he finds Saul, he lays his hands on him, and he says to Saul, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember that phrase, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, the scales fall from Saul's eyes. He regains his sight. He gets up and he's baptized. Do you think he had a life-changing transformation? Yes. Anybody in the room want to contest that at this moment? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. So now we're going to start through some scriptures. And here's what we're going to do. Beth, if you would, we need three columns across the top that say before, after, gifts. <clears throat> so um, one of you has um, a scripture from Acts 9, 19 to 26. And when you read your scripture, if you would please, like Francis is doing, will you stand up so that everybody in the room will be able to hear you? Thanks, Francis. Thank you. All right, so this is group participation. What do we know about Paul from that passage of scripture and from what I've already described to you? What do we know about him? He's been transformed. So what we want to put that in the after column. What did we know about him from before that is still reflected here in the way people are reacting to him? He persecuted what else? He was a preacher. Mm-hmm. So he was a teacher before and a teacher after. Good observation. He did. He believed he was doing the right thing. Passionate. Great word. He was definitely that. Well, before and after, I guess. So we could also use the word zealous, couldn't we? Mm -hmm. he, was, he was sold out for what, whatever the cause was. Right. All right, who has Philippians 3, 4, and 6? Ah, okay. 
Okay, there's some great before characteristics in that passage. What did you get out of that? What did you hear in that passage? He did know the scripture. Good observation. What else? Obeyed the law. And it's interesting to me that when Paul describes that right there, he says, I obeyed the law without fault. Whoa. Little pride. You're right. You're right. Little pride. The other phrase that's in that passage is that as a member of the Pharisees, he had strict obedience to the Jewish law. All right, who has Acts 11, 25, and 26? So now Saul has a friend. Barnabas has come to him, claimed him, and takes him in to um, Antioch. And what do we observe about Paul in this place? Thank you, Ellen. He spends the year teaching alongside Barnabas. Okay, who, who has Acts 15? 36 to 40. Okay. Thank you. All right. What do you observe about Paul in these verses? There are some interesting things right here. He is still strongly opinionated. What else? He's a leader. He did want to nourish the church. Yes, thank you for that observation. Okay, that's good. Place the high value on loyalty. Okay. Yes, he does. If you didn't hear what he said, he's saying God used what appears to be a bad thing to make another team so that two teams went out. But we do learn some things about the process and the way, about Paul in the process and the way that happened, don't we? Yeah. Take that. Way to go, assistant. Okay. In Acts 28, who has that one? Okay. Okay. Thank you. All right. What do we see about Paul right here? He's bold. Yes, he is. He, proclaim, he continues to proclaim Jesus. Mm -hmm. Persuasive. Good word. Mm -hmm. He is committed to his goal. To receive them. Mm -hmm. Good observation. All right, who has 2 Timothy 1, 11 and 12? All right, so after Paul's transformation, what does he know about himself from that passage? He knows that he's saved, yes? That's right, his future is in God's hands. He knows his gifts. Exactly. So what did I heard someone else? His purpose. Because he, he comes right out and says, God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Okay. 
You're doing very well, students. All right, Romans 8. Who has that one? Thank you, Beth. Now, those, those words come from Paul himself. He's writing to the church at Rome. And he's talking to them about receiving God's spirit. And what does he say? Did you catch a few phrases in those verses? Heirs, yes. We were adopted as his children. Mm -hmm. And his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. So I want to point out a couple things to you that you all have just taken out of these scriptures and given us an opportunity to record up here. There is one central ingredient that we cannot overlook. And I want to first go back to something that I said to you when I was reading from Acts 8 and, or Acts 9, rather, in describing to you Paul's interaction with Ananias. And the word there tells us that Ananias put his work, put his hands on Paul. And he said to him, Paul, God has chosen you to be his instrument to the Gentiles and to all of Israel. And he is going to fill you with his Holy Spirit. So, and one final word about Paul right here. I do believe that in the study of Paul's life, which we obviously can't undertake in its entirety tonight, um, we see that Paul softens as he goes through life. He's certainly an adult when we meet him in Acts 7, and he's gathering the clothes of those who are stoning Stephen. But as he continues through his adult life, we see him become more merciful, more kind-hearted, extending hospitality, more welcoming. We see God continue to work on Paul in giving him gifts and in developing the fruits of the Spirit in his life, we certainly would not have called Paul initially gentle, kind, patient. But all those things that are promised to us as fruits of the Spirit, we see growing in Paul as he grows and is transformed as a believer in Jesus Christ. He becomes an affirmer. Later in his life, he spends a great deal of time mentoring the men and women who are around him in ministry. So God never really stopped developing Paul's gifts. That's an important point to remember. But let me just finish up with these few thoughts. There is a gift that has been given to each one of us, and that is the Holy Spirit at the point that we believed in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is the deposit that guarantees our salvation. He is the author of our gifts. And if you think for just a moment, I want to give you a little object lesson to help you remember this. If you think of this picture as your life, 
and the milk going in as everything about your life, your body, your soul, your heart, your mind, everything that fills you up and makes you who you are. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, something happens to you. You're about to change from the inside out. And the way that that change takes place is not in compartments or partially. It doesn't happen to certain parts of your life and not happen to other parts of your life. It's not like we can say that our lives are like rooms where maybe we, we let God and we let the Holy Spirit into one bedroom, one closet, the kitchen, maybe. No, that's not the way it works. The truth of the matter is that the Holy Spirit invades our entire life. And so what happens is we are completely changed. So what was white here a moment ago, representing our lives, is now brown because it has been completely and totally changed. It cannot go back the way that it was before. God's spirit comes to invade every area in your life. As you examine tonight, as we go further now with Bob, every area in our lives, and as we think about how he fills us, not just part of us, but all of us, how he is the source of our ongoing transformation, and just as we saw here the way Paul's life changed, and we began to identify what were the gifts that showed. Well, he was a teacher before, wasn't he? But it was clear that those same gifts were used in the future. He was a leader before. Those same, that same gift became apparent. But we also see that God developed in Paul additional gifts and made him more merciful, more of an encourager, more of an affirmer. It often feels intimidating to us to think, I'm going to name my gift. I'm going to just say, this is what I am. But the truth is that God wants us to know and understand what our gift is. He wants us to identify those things. And one of the very best ways to do that is to start serving, to pursue different opportunities in ministry, to begin to see what we're good at. And beautifully, when used in service, each of our gifts will begin to humble us as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, not pump us up. In the shape book that all of you are reading, there's a great quote right at the beginning of chapter one from F.B. Meyer, where he says this, I used to think that God gifts were on shelves, one above another, and the taller we grow, the easier we can reach them. Now I find that God's gifts are on the bottom shelves. And the lower we stoop, the more we get. All right, we're going to move on now and talk about the gifts of the Spirit. What Beth is saying is that even though he may have been strongly opinionated, passionate, and zealous, and after his transformation, he still has those characteristics, that's true for every one of us. But the thing we have to remember about that, that we'll talk about tonight and in ongoing weeks, is that 
once we know these things, and once we have been transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ, we are responsible for how those things are evidenced in our life, and how we use them to glorify the Lord, or take responsibility for how they may not always glorify the Lord. Over to you. Thanks, Christine. Uh, the life of Paul is an incredible journey if you've never studied it. it. Christine did a great job. You all did a great job. I'd highly encourage you, if you want to just study something, study what he tells about himself throughout the scriptures and how God revealed to him what his unique purpose was and how it began as thinking, okay, it starts when I was converted. That's when he thought his unique purpose started. But then he realized when you read in Galatians 3, he said, I realized God had set me apart from the womb. So as he began to reflect on what God had done in his life, how he had prepared him, this introspective, examined life, he gained more and more and more of a conviction of exactly what we're asking the question of, which is, why am I here? So it's a great great study to see how God took an incredibly gifted man that was all about his glory and transformed those gifts into making them about God's glory. Okay? Now, the reason it's really important to understand this component here, the Holy Spirit, is you can't separate the Holy Spirit from the spiritual gifts as we're going to see. So it's really important for us to recognize the vitality of the Holy Spirit when we start to get into this subject of the spiritual gifts. Now, what I want to do for just a few minutes is to understand the overall plan for growth that that Jesus has in his mind and how gifts fit into that. Because I'm a big picture person, And I think it's really important that all of us step back and see the big picture so that we can see our lives even more clearly. All right, so in the book of Ephesians that we've just gone through as a church, Paul uses two major metaphors or object lessons when he talks about the church. One of them is the church is the temple of God, and that's in Ephesians 2. The other one is that the church is the body of Christ, and that's in Ephesians 4. And we studied that, and if you give me that next slide, we studied this passage in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Now, in that passage, Paul is outlining this overall plan for growth. And and there it says that Jesus, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastors and teachers Not to do the ministry, but to do what? To equip others to do the ministry. To equip the saints to do the ministry. So that that Jesus gives leadership to the church, again, not to do the ministry, but to equip you and I to do the ministry. Others to do the ministry. And so in the mind of the leaders of New City, that's why they wanted designed to be a part of What was happening at New City? As Gabe said, to equip you all to do the ministry. 
Now, what I want you to notice in this passage is the repeated word or words. Those of you that are faster readers, what are the repeated words there? Or word, the key word. Equip is one that, that what's there's one that's more repeated. Body is one of the most important ones. It's all about the body, but it's about the body doing something. Building up, that's that's one phrase. Another phrase is grows, growth. The whole idea here that Paul is trying to convey is that the body is designed to grow. That's what he's trying to communicate to us who are listening. The, the, the reason I'm using the body as an illustration, Paul is saying, is because the body is designed to grow. It's made to grow. It's designed to grow. It's purpose to grow. And then he explains how it grows. And according to this passage, how does it grow? Okay, stand up and say that louder, Chris. Okay, the body grows when every single part in the body is functioning as it was designed to function. It is only when every part is functioning is the body fulfilling its the design to grow. You see that? That means every single one of you in this room is essential to the growth of the body of Christ here at New City. None of you can say, I don't matter. It's only, again, when every part is functioning. Do you see how significant that is? This is the mind of Jesus communicating to you through Paul tonight. You are essential. When you do not function effectively, the whole body suffers. Now, a summary of that would be, the body of Christ is a living organism with many members who share an incredible unity. It's called the life of Jesus. that is ordained to grow, and it grows when every single one of you does what God made you to do. Now, where do gifts fit into that? How do gifts fit? Here's my next slide. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, briefly look at this passage, and you all did, who were here in April, looked at this passage specifically on your own. I want to highlight a couple things in this passage. Now, it begins in that first verse. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Actually, the word is not the word for spiritual gifts there. Actually, it, it, there's a different word for spiritual gifts, which we'll talk about in a moment. The word there is now concerning things spiritual. Concerning things spiritual, men and women, I don't want you to be uninformed. Tonight, we want you to be informed about the spiritual so what we're doing right now is trying to just make sure you're informed. One of those informational pieces is the role of the Holy Spirit. The second is this plan to grow. 
this plan that Jesus has for the body to grow. And then he gets into this where he says, now there are varieties of gifts, that's spiritual gifts, there that is that word. There are, there are variety, varieties of gifts with the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I want you to notice those three different levels. There's gifts, there's service, and then there's activities. And in my mind, what he's saying there is, there is gifts, which is this ability to serve. Where you use that is the service point. What happens when you use it is the activity of the Spirit of God. You see how the, so if I'm a gifted teacher teaching fourth grade boys, that's my place of service, and they get enlightened into the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the activity. You see the relationship of the three now? There's a gift that I'm given. The place I use the gift is the service. And how the gift impacts the body is that activity. But then he goes on. Now, each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. All three of those are the manifestation of the Spirit of God. Now, we learned some things then about the spirit, about spiritual gifts that are really important. That spiritual gifts are an ability. They're, they're the ability for you and I to function in the place that God has us in the body. Does that make sense? It's, to, it's the ability to fulfill the unique purpose that He has for you. It's a spirit, supernatural ability. That's what we learn from this passage. First of all, everyone has one. To each, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. This is not a natural ability. Natural abilities can transform into a spiritual gift, but they're not the same thing. Everybody has them, and they are supernatural in their nature. And they, I think, are to be identified. He gives a list of some of these. Now, talk in a moment about that actual identification. But they're given not for our own glorification. Notice it says, to each is given, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. So the whole body grows. See the parallel? And then, lastly, it is the sovereign work of the Spirit in how these gifts are distributed. What is it? Notice it says there. To, and that last verse. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as the Spirit wills. This is not something we pray for and then God anoints us because we wanted it. This is something the sovereign Holy Spirit of God imparts to believers when they are converted to fulfill the function that they are as a body member. Is that clear? Okay, now, let's go back to the growth. One more. So the, so the body of Christ, next one, next one, Brandy. Yeah, all right. So now, quickly, two things. There are two primary problems in the body of Christ. We've already identified one of them. One of them is to think 
you are a foot and you look at a hand and you say, I'm not a hand, the body doesn't really need me. I don't belong here. The comparison is accurate. The conclusion is wrong. I look at Jane and I say, I'm not like Jane. Jane, that's a right conclusion. I look at Vicky, I'm not like Vicky. Right, right observation, wrong conclusion. Therefore, Jane and Vicky are better than me. Body doesn't need me. That's a wrong conclusion on a right observation. I love this phrase. It goes on to say, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If the whole body were a Bob or a Christine, where would the sense of record be? If the whole body were a, a game, where would the sense of Dale be? We would lose that ability. And when you lose an ability in, in the body, we call that person what? Handicapped. Not because they can't function, but because everything they try to do is what? Harder. Talk to somebody that can't walk. Talk to somebody that can't hear. They still function, but it's harder. When you and I do not operate in the unique purpose that God has for us, we handicap the rest of the body. We make it harder for them to actually function. Second problem is, go to the next slide, please. The next slide is, or the, 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 the other problem is, the eye looks at the hand and says, you're not a hand, you're not a notch. I don't you. So the first problem is, the body doesn't need me. The second problem is, I'm the body. And then Paul does this beautiful explanation of how when one person in the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And every part is indispensable. And just this whole idea of the knitting together of the body is so fantastic that every single part is essential. And we can't say, I don't need the body, and the body doesn't need me. So, Every part is important. Every part belongs. Every part is essential. So a spiritual gift is an ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit for ministry and service, given to all believers as he desires to fulfill that believer's function in the body so that the body of Christ is filled up. See, that's what a spiritual gift is. It's an ability. It's, it's a currency that enables you to operate in the spiritual or kingdom economy. Without the gift, you can't operate in that economy. With the gift, you can. Without the ability, you can't operate in the body. With the ability, with the ability you can. Okay, now, to illustrate this, let's imagine for a moment. (laughs) 
in walks a woman. She's holding a baby right here. Two kids underneath her dress. The kids are dirty. She's obviously disheveled. And we asked, I can help you. She said, my husband and I are on our way from Ohio down to Florida to get a new job that my sister has for us in Tampa. And we passed, we're passing through Charlotte. We got off Interstate 85 to get something to eat. The car broke down out in the parking lot with my, my husband is out there with our other three kids. Can you help us? Stop for a moment and think, what are you motivated to do right that moment? Think. Don't say, think. What are you motivated to do that moment? We'll go back to that illustration in a moment. But let's talk about further on in this. Next slide. There are four primary passages on this. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, and 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Those are the four primary passages in the New Testament on this. And when you look at those passages, you're asked, you're forced to ask some pretty significant exegetical or Bible study questions. Why? Are the lists that are given there exhaustive? Because there are 26 different gifts mentioned there of different kinds. Are there any differences in the lists that are there? Is the Ephesians 4 passage the same kind of list as the, as the Romans 12 or the, or the 1 Corinthians 12? Are the lists supposed to be used for identification or not? Are there certain times for certain gifts? Are there, are, um, are there lots of other gifts that are just mentioned? These are represented and not exhausted. And how you answer those questions are the way you develop what I would call a theology on gifts. Now, this church has this theology that we're espousing, that the gifts lists are not the, all the same. The Ephesians 4 passage are people, not gifts. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, those are people. The Romans 12 gifts are the motivational core gifts that all believers have a portion of. And we'll talk, talk a little bit more about why we believe that. The, the first Peter 4 passage breaks those Romans 12 passages into two gifts, serving and speaking, two categories. If you serve or speak, the first Corinthians 12 passage and 14 mainly speaks about the manifestation. It includes gifts, but it's broader than just so with that in mind, we would like then to, to talk about the seven gifts of Romans 12. Now, those are prophecy, teaching, exhorting, leading, serving, mercy, and giving. 
prophecy, teaching, serving, giving, exhorting, mercy, teaching. Seven. Now, why that's important is every single one of those, you and I are commanded to do in the New Testament. We are commanded to serve one another, we're commanded to teach one another, we're commanded to to, uh, um, exhort one another, we're commanded to express mercy and love to one another. So all of those are something we're all supposed to do. But some of us have been gifted more than others with those as examples for us. So I'm not a giver. I'm not a server. That doesn't exempt me from serving and giving. The, the scriptures tell me to serve and to give. And I'm to look at people that are givers and servers and go, show me how to be that way. I'm supposed to be that way. And I don't naturally, I'm not motivated to do that. You see that? So those seven become a way for me to understand how Christ would operate in his full expression of the body. Because he's all of us. We can do a study and show you how he expressed all seven of them. Beautifully. All the, throughout his ministry. But you and I are called to live those out, but look to gifted people in those particular in those in the individual ones as models for us to follow again. Okay? Now, there's a chart in your notes. And I want to do this real quickly. To help you identify some of these gifts. Yeah, so this paper right here, it's got, it's got gift and key one, okay? Now, so we're going to look at the gift is perception or prophecy. And the key word for that is, the key words are truth, right, and wrong. Okay? Now, if, if you were to guess for a moment, you want to think of this gift as a body part. Literally, a physical body part. Which physical body part do you think a perceiver is? Think again. What? Part? If right wrong is other keywords, and they put you perceive something with your eyes. The prophets are the eyes of the body. They see wrong. In the Old Testament, they came into the nation and said, you don't see what I see. I see sin. I see idolatry. Okay? Now, servers serving their keyword is help. Keywords are help and need. What do you think would be the body part for a server? The hands. Great. You're getting the idea here. Okay? For the teacher, their keywords are explained. And understand. 
or would be the body part of the teacher. Uh, maybe, but they're the better one for the math. The brain, the mind, exactly, the mind. Okay? For the exhorter, they are tell, their keyboards are tell do. They're what would be like our best. That's a mouse. They're the ones that are going to encourage or tell you what to do, give you advice. The givers, their key word is help and discern. This is a harder one. I would say they're the arms. Leading is the next one, or administration, as you, as you might have in a translation. And their keywords are efficient and effective. And this is another harder one. I call this the shoulders, because the government will be on Jesus' shoulder. That's the idea. You're, you're, you're serving by lifting. Then the last one is mercy. And their key word is hurt and help. And what are they now? They're the heart. Now, here's some phenomenal research. It's been done by a group where they 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 they've got over ten thousand data points of this. What percent of the body each of you represent. What I want you to think about, what do you think is the greatest percent? What do you think in God's sovereign plan, Jesus' sovereign plan, I'm going to fill the body the most with which body part? It's the heart. The heart is more than 30% of the dominant of those that have been tested. I find that fascinating. Because who do we exalt in our culture? Leaders and teachers, primarily even teachers, and yet teachers are actually the least percent. Six percent. Their primary gifts. So hopefully you're starting to get a little bit of a glimmer of maybe what you're doing. And on your notes, there are further descriptions of these seven for you to use to kind of so does that describe you? Christine, take us back to the illustration. Okay. All right, so think back for the next few moments about the story and the illustration that Bob gave a moment ago. There's a lady who's watching the door. She's obviously distraught. She has young children with her. Their clothes are grimy. She needs help. She has a husband and older children waiting in the car. 
your scientific Florida. What's running through your mind and mine as we listen to her describe that is that they probably will be fed. They probably need a place to sleep. They probably need gas for their car. We can come up with a whole list of things that would occur to us. But Bob asked you the question a moment ago, what is your immediate response to seeing that person come in the door? What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Other and help them. 
Exactly. Okay, I saw another hand somewhere. Yes. Ask your first what you do.
So as we wrap this up, we each have a couple of thoughts in order to share with you. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Okay. Um, hopefully tonight, if you think you're thinking you are not important, you need to stand against that in the Spirit of God and say, that is a lie. I will not believe If you have been reminded repeatedly by the Spirit of God, you are essential. Not central. Jesus is the head, but he has made every single one of you essential. Within that, understanding your gifts are best discovered by offering them. Just start serving. Christine already said that. That's the best way to know what your gifts are. And then listen to what the body says to you as you serve. If the body says to you, you know, I was really discouraged today. I didn't know what to do in that situation. And you really encouraged me. They're talking to it in If If somebody in the body says, no, I was really, really sad today. And I didn't know what I was doing. I was just depressed. But man, I felt your comfort. They're talking on mercy. If they say to you, you know, Bob, or Christine, I never understood the way the scriptures were explained so you feel like they were So listen to them. That's the best way you will ever discover the gift. It's serving and listening to the body talking about. Second, what do you motivate? That's what Romans 12 has in the call motivation gifts. That's why I ask the question, what do you motivate? Think about that. And then we have an inventory. Inventories are down the list. I think those don't are, are only a value when you're serving. So Tammy has got four of those inventories being served and pick them up back in the back. Before you leave, if you'd like to have a spiritual gift inventory that's based on the Romans 12, that's the self-scoring one, pick those up in the back, okay? Last thing I want to say is if you'll notice. We've asked you to look in. We've asked you to look around. Look around at what people tell you. Look in at what you're motivated to, but not by itself. All while you're looking up, they're integrated together. The problem with the world's advice is they separate the look up from the other two. We're asking you to do all three. That's what design is all about. Okay. A couple of final thoughts for you. Brandy, can you put up the slide? You have in your folders um, a sheet that lists for you your homework. If you have not yet done reading the book, Shape, by Eric Ries, now is the moment to begin. Um, for next week, read chapters 1, 2, and 5. You might offer one comment about that. Yes. Real quick. You'll notice in the book they have 20 gifts. That's an example of how your model is based upon the way that you interpret those messages. There's others that have 26, there's others you can find there are 10 or 15. Or, so that's what I'm trying to explain earlier. We're not using the one that they're using. We're using one based on the moments of seven locations. However, 
it is still helpful, very, very helpful to read through that and understand that there are other places in scripture that mention additional gifts. It may help you to begin to hone in on exactly how God has put you together. So if you will do that reading, it will help you tremendously. As Bob mentioned, next week we will be talking about personality, which we all love. And if you have never taken a personality assessment, we want to encourage you to do that. There are three um, resources on your sheet in your folders of places you can go to take a personality assessment. So you can pick any one of the three. Um, I probably would recommend to you at this moment that um, the one that might be the clearest and quickly give you an understanding would be to look at the Enneagram assessment. But the other two are equally good. It's not like one is better than another. They're just a little bit different in the way they're put together. So, um, if you will take your spiritual gifts inventory, score it, so that you have an understanding of what it reveals about you, bring it back with you next week, so that you can leave it with Tammy and Dave, and then take a personality inventory, and read those chapters in the shape book, you will be good to go. All right, I hope this has been meaningful to you tonight. I hope that we have given you um, a good picture of how to think about your own life, to think about the before and the after, how things that God may have put into you from the very beginning, even before you were a believer, He can use and show to you as the gifts that are part of you for the way that you serve. In the kingdom. I hope that you are leaving here tonight with a more complete understanding of the fact that every single one of us is filled with the Holy Spirit. Praise Jesus. Amen. Amen. I hope that you are leaving with a desire to go a little bit deeper to understand yourself, to examine your life. You have good materials in your folder. You have a wonderful book to read. We gave you some additional resources there. If you start this path, I can guarantee you that you will not be sorry that you looked more deeply into these things. Because it will reveal things to you about what God intends for you that will be very, very meaningful now and in the future. And on that thought, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming together tonight. We thank you that we live in a country where we can gather in this building without fear, Lord, to praise your name, to study your word, and to think about the way that you have decided to put our lives together. Father, my prayer for every person in this room would be that as they think about what they heard here tonight, and as they go through the next three weeks, they would begin, as Paul wrote in Romans 12, to understand the will of God in their lives. Lord, we want to know you better. We want to serve you well. And so 